0: This is X, and this is The Candid Frame. Last week, I was in Las Vegas for Photoshop World. And while I was there, I did a presentation along with photographer Jared Foster at the Peach Pit booth. Now, Jared Foster is a photographer whose name may be familiar to you because just a couple of months back, I interviewed him for the show. And when we were invited to share the stage, we were thinking about what what can we do that's a little different from most of the presentations that were happening at the show. And we thought, well, we want to talk about photography, but why don't we use each other's images as sort of a a launching pad for a deep discussion in terms of how we each see and use the camera to be able to make pictures and to tell stories with a camera. So that's exactly what we did. He gave me a selection of his images, and I did I did the same, and then we each pulled about seven photographs, put them on a laptop, and then projected them on the screen as we talked about photography, and as you'll you'll hear, we went back and forth, discussing not just the, the pictures on the screen, but a whole array of different ideas in terms of what it takes to make a successful photograph. And though this isn't an enhanced podcast, and you won't see the images on your MP3 player, if you go to the blog at thecandidframe.com, you will see the images posted on the entry for this episode. So, once you get home to your office, you can just pull up the blog and you'll be able to see the images there. Now... Because of my recorder, I had some hiccups with it, so it didn't pick up the first few minutes of the recording, but it picked up the rest of the conversation, and you will hear some background noise, because I was in this big convention hall, and so there is some background noise. But I think the sound quality is still more than acceptable, and I think that you'll really enjoy this conversation between me and Jared Foster at Photoshop World.
1: This image uh, is more, is interesting at, at two levels. I was actually on a, on an assignment with the New York Times magazine on a, for a story uh, about the drought that affected Texas primarily last year now it 's kind of affecting the rest of the nation but the this the story is not about you know necessarily this see this gun. This person in this in the seat is actually uh, the writer for the story flew down from New York and he and I drove out to one of the bigger ranches uh, just west, uh, east of where I live and I just, I've always been intrigued by the the culture that exists around those cowboys that live out there, and we're talking true cowboys, not the ones you just see at rodeos, and uh, and how similar they really are to some of the things that we see really in the in the media, and I mean like films, movies, and whereas in the past we'd probably see somebody riding along a horse, and somebody in, in the old John Wayne movie, somebody's got the scabbard full of a rifle or something like that on the side of a horse. Well, they're not riding horses that much like that anymore. Uh, but they still have to have a place for their firearms. And, and this this is kind of a, a, a testament to that mentality in that part of the state. Uh, a little, and it tells a little bit more about the, the, the people that live there, that kind of libertarian, you know, leave me alone, I'll leave you alone kind of attitude. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to hold on to my guns. You can do whatever you want with yours kind of thing. And so instead of having a horse to, to uh, or, or even a, a hip to put your gun on, this guy decided to put it on the back of a, a seat. Interestingly enough, as we were driving around this ranch, we were talking about the drought, and and, uh, th- and this sounds kind of kind of I mean, it really is kind of a bad thing. But we were driving along, and, and he, uh, he the rancher who's sitting in the in the driver's seat suddenly stopped the vehicle, and he saw a turtle sitting out on a rock out on a pond. This pond was drying up, but the turtles they were trying to get rid of the turtles, uh, basically eradicate the turtles because they were eating all the fish. And so he stopped, and just like you would imagine, somebody in a John Wayne movie, pulling a rifle out of the scabbard on the side of a saddle. Yeah. He pulled a rifle out beside beside him that I didn't even notice. It was actually sitting beside him in the in the car. And he just pointed out the window. And he never shot the turtle. He tried to, but it was just too far away. But I was like, you know, just, it kind of blew my mind. I was sitting there on assignment. And this guy was the perfect assignment subject because he was totally in his element the whole time. Um, and so, you know, he really didn't. Didn't uh, notice me taking shots like this, but at the same time, there it is. You know, this says as much about that area that we were on assignment than anything.
0: Yeah, and I, what I like about it is it's a it's a good image to learn from because it breaks some rules. Like you got the blown out highlights in terms of the details outside of the window. Mm-hmm. You have the composition, which is a little off kilter. Mm-hmm. So it's it's. You know, breaking some of those rules—it's not perfectly following the rule of thirds, right. but it's still an effective, an effective photograph, right. which I think is really, really great. Cool.
1: You want to switch? We're going yeah, to we'll go, go back and, back and forth. forth. Okay. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, the first image that that really stuck out to me with yours of X, was this particular shot. That in uh, again, I'll let you kind of give us the background on the shot. But what in- intrigued me about the shot was the way that. And I've described light this way in the past, and particularly to my students, I, I, I describe light being tangible. It's something that we, we should be able to kind of physically wrap our minds around at least, wrap our mind's eye, if you will, around. And this is kind of one of those shots. I love that shadow that's falling off of this, this female standing here with the skirt on. The, the way the shadow and the light kind of moves across her calves. Uh, and, and then the way that the light helps frame in the main subject matter here. And we're, we, we're not even talking about content yet, but just the light itself is attractive. And, of course, being the man that wrote the book on using natural light, this is something that you notice as well. And that's probably one of the reasons why you took the shot. But when we start to read into the image a little bit more, we try to infer a little bit of the storyline that's happening here. The, probably one of the most interesting elements of the story, or the, the image itself, is actually that boot that's coming into the, into the frame. And this personifies. This kind of humanizes the rest of this this picture. There's uh, there's people there, obviously, but there's something special about this boot coming in here, and that, and that implies action, and that implies like a, a deliberate action. And I'm always and you're stuck wondering what is the intention of that person whose boot is reaching into the into the shot. We don't need to know who these people are necessarily. We don't need to necessarily see their faces, their eyes, or facial expression. There's a ton of body language in this type of shot, so there's a lot of stuff that we can read into it. And I love that boot reaching in here. What, what is it, it going to do? And that, like we were talking earlier, that kind of creates that mystery around the shot that keeps you coming back. Just like we talked about the, the previous shot, you want to read all those elements, you want to find out what's in the shot itself. That boot, to me, is kind of the direction toward some sort of activity. Something's about to go down. It doesn't have to be something serious or you know, malevolent or anything. It's just something is happening.
0: Yeah, I took this shot while he was uh, in Missouri participating in a photographic workshop. And what drew my attention was the light that was coming in from the side. And I just liked the way that her legs were kind of crossed. You know, so, so that immediately sort of drew my attention. And I shot only got shoot a couple of frames before her leg position changed. And in one shot, the guy's boot was, wasn't in the frame. And the very next shot, it was in the frame. Mm-hmm. And like you said, the that boot made it for me. And I don't know if I was really as conscious about the things that you just talked about in terms of it begging a question, in terms of creating a vocal mystery, I just knew I liked it. And part of it is like, it adds a little bit of visual tension. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking more graphically and image-wise in terms of uh, that visual tension, but it's, it's two sides of the same coin, Right. you know? So, and, and it's really interesting when I'm initially drawn into a scene um, it may be the light, but then then it's about really waiting around for that one telling element in this case it's the it 's the boot to help complete the shot because if I just made that first shot i don 't think I would have been completely it would't have been a completely successful image, so a big part of what I try to do is to try and wait for that one telling gesture and uh that's that's what I really like about your photographs. Let's do this with this portrait. As I was telling you earlier, it's oftentimes those very small elements that make a shot and for me this shot can be very misleading to think that it's a very simple photograph. It's very well composed, the lighting is great, and you could, there are thousands of shots that are made like this, but for me the thing that makes this shot so good is look at the way she's holding that rabbit and look at the expression on her face. It's not the technical things that make this shot great. It's just those small little details. I mean, the the gloved hands, those blue gloved hands holding that white rabbit, is just wonderful. But that expression in her face expresses so much intensity, focus. There's an air of protectiveness that you get across uh, from her. So again, it's a very storytelling image. But there's just those that little something that makes you really linger on the shot and wonder who is this woman. Why is she here? What does she do?
1: Yeah, the, like I said, there's, not, you know, there's nothing in particular, if you were just to glance at this image, that makes it stand out any more than any other uh, cover shot portrait that I did. We, we shot this for the cover. This is a, this is a university uh, veterinarian, and, and I think, in, in especially in the area that I, that I live, you know, when we think about veterinarians, we think about big animals, uh, cows, horses, sheep, uh, goats, those, those types of things. And especially with a, a university veterinarian, we think about, well, they're just taking care of certain animals. And, and we don't necessarily think about the veterinarian at a university taking care of the, the actual research subjects for some, of the, for some of the research that's actually taking place. And this was one of the first locations we hit. And uh, yeah, those things, like, like the hand gesture, or at least the way she's holding that, that rabbit, there's a lot of care there, we can tell thankfully she had on a different colored glove than she did a lab jacket uh and so or lab coat so we had that contrast there we have a little bit of a you know aesthetic kind of uh, keying in on those that blue but we also see exactly how our hands are formed uh on that rabbit that very caring almost like i'm holding my my child uh look and then again yes that face uh, there's a lot of intensity there and uh, as we were talking about over lunch you know this is one of those shots that she it made the cover but she didn't like the picture she but it's not because she looked bad in the picture. It's because she wanted a picture of her with a larger animal because she was much, much more into horses than she were, than she was into rabbits. But this was much more interesting. The fact that she actually is responsible for taking care of university, all the university animals, including like the the animals that they do no telling what to uh, in research. She's she's there for them as well, and so for the cover that's made it. Of course, it, the format was was right as well. But those eyes, whenever we look at expression. And, and gesture and, uh, and body language, for that matter, just like the last shot with the, the, uh, you know, the female's legs kind of crossed in that certain way. Yeah. We key in on those things.
0: Did you ask her to pose in a particular way or is that just what she came to naturally as a result of you? Yeah, I, just
1: engaging with her? I liked the background. I think during this shoot I, I really enjoyed the background more than I was thinking about even a cover shot of her holding the rabbit. In terms of gesture, a lot of times for these environmental portraits, I don't necessarily, or in terms of posture, I don't necessarily tell the subject matter to, to pose any particular way. I don't make them uh, you know, twist and turn so they, so they look right for, say, a, a model to be, yeah. to be posing. I want them to be comfortable. And, so, and then this was the pose she assumed. I'll tell them to kind of shift their shoulders around and, and turn their heads so we have a little bit more dynamic cro- across their body, a little bit more depth in that, in that sense. But other than that, you know, this, this was her. And I'll see her. I'll see her at every football game that I photograph because because we have a, a a mascot at the university that's that's uh, a horse, and so she's there always to take care of the horse. And uh, and she she looks like this. And she's not a, a, a sour person at all, but she's you know she's very driven and she's very passionate about what she's doing right there in, right then and yeah. there.
0: That's one thing I've learned about making images like that: that giving something for the person to hold really allows them to find their own body language because. And it also keeps them less makes them less self-conscious because they're holding something and it seems like all that energy, that nervous energy, gets directed to whatever they're holding. Yeah. It's
1: like telling it's like telling guys or you know, females in gener- too, that to put hands in pockets or doing something with their hands in general because A it kinda of makes the photograph a little bit more dynamic, and it just it eases them. Now let's look at the cover of Chasing the Light. Now, this is one of those those photographs that, again, kind of immediately drawn. Ever since I saw the book, I've been really attracted by, by the cover, and uh, I noticed that you have it actually on the, the front of your computer here as well. There's something very kind of uh, whimsical and, and almost mystical about this shot, and when we talked about the background, it became even more apparent, you know, why it was even that much more mystical. There's a lot of mystery here. Aesthetically, it's a great-looking shot. We've got a nice dark background with with a, a very bright subject matter in the foreground uh, that, that kind of sets it apart. Uh, it's interesting because there is a dress. it is a dress. It's a very kind of dainty dress on, on this mannequin of sorts out on the sidewalk in what doesn't necessarily look to be like the, the greatest part of town. And so you're, you're left asking, you know, why is this here? What is this? Is this a part of the store back there? And so you're, you're immediately attracted to it. Obviously the light looks great. We've got that nice directionally diffused light coming across. And probably the most telling feature for me, or at least the most compelling feature, is the way the dress kind of swishes to camera left. And it reminds me of, of kind of a, an, an Avedon type, you know, Avedon-esque type of gesture with the dress because he was always about the dress being in movement. And, and so that's what we have here, of course, and also the placement.
0: Well, just being associated with Avedon is, makes my day. <laughs> yeah. But this shot I made what I was in downtown Los Angeles and I was walking down the street and I was about to cross the street, but out of the corner of my eye, I noticed a stress that and this mannequin that was just sitting there in the middle of the sidewalk. And it wasn't associated with any storefront there. It was just, it was just sitting there. And I saw the play of light on it, and I ran over to make the shot because I knew something was special there. And I, made, you know, I spent a good amount of time like carefully framing the shot, and people were just walking by it because they just saw an obstruction in the middle of the sidewalk, but... I just love the play of light, the color. And again, it was one of those shots that I was led to just because I was paying attention to the light. One of the things I I tend to do is I try to make myself a blank slate when I'm going out to photograph. I don't think about, oh, I want to go make pictures of people or cars or whatever because I feel like that gets me too much into tunnel vision. I like keeping myself open, and so I let light kind of dictate where I walk. And in this case, it was just seeing the light hitting this, that said, okay, I need to make a right, I need to walk over here, and this is where I found it. And again, I think it speaks to a lot of what we've talked about so far in terms of creating shots that have an air of mystery to them. It's really easy... I'll just speak for myself. When I was first making photographs, I was making documents of what things looked like. You know, it's like, okay, this is a chair, this is a person. And it would the picture would look like that. But it never... It never demonstrated what I felt like when I discovered the subject in the first place. And I knew when I made this photograph, I was really excited. I was with another group of photographers, and they were like, what are you doing? You know? But I was like, wait till you see this. And once they saw the photograph on the LCD, they got it. But even watching me photograph it, they didn't really get it. And then you reveal it to them. And oftentimes when I show people these photographs, this particular photograph, there's a reaction that I hear... And I think that sort of at least is, it captures a fraction of what I felt when I saw it and I photographed it for the first time.
1: Do you think the people that you were with that didn't necessarily, you know, didn't necessarily get it at first, was it a, a technical you know, issue that they had to overcome in order to actually see what you were seeing before you took a picture? No, I think they or saw
0: mostly what everyone else saw, which was the mannequin in the middle of the street. That's what they saw. They didn't see how the light was interplaying with the dress, with the background all of that so it was it was I was just tuned into like a different frequency so that kinda opened me up to being receptive to a moment like like this because moments like this happen all the time you know they're just nothing moments and and sometimes we have to train our heads to be open to them because you go out there with the ex- cuz how many times you know have we gone out with a camera loaded with memory cards Bag full of equipment, you go out, you come back, and you go, there was nothing, nothing to shoot, you know? You don't come back with any photographs because you felt like there was just nothing photo-worthy. Mm-hmm. And what I've learned is stuff, there's photo-worthy stuff everywhere. Right. It's just that I'm not in tune with what's, what's happening. And it's, part of it is like setting up expectations for myself in terms of what, I want to go out there and make a quote-unquote great photograph. Mm-hmm. And part of my process now is just going out to just photograph it doesn't really matter to me whether I make a great photograph that day as long as I'm practicing it. If I do get a good shot like I did this day, then it's great, but if I go up there with uh, the with burden of having to make a good photograph, then that's a, just a whole bunch of baggage that you put on it that make prohibit you from seeing the very thing you need to see that day.
1: Now there's always a question that we could ask ourselves as photographers. Is there anything different you'd love to have you know, love in this shot or something different to... to When we were talking
0: this afternoon, like that shot of the boot in the other shot, if there was like a leg walking into from camera left, maybe just adding a little bit more tension. If I had been, if I were to find this today, I still would have made the shot, but I think I would have waited a little longer to see what else would have showed up. Because I was really happy with what I got here, but one of the things I've learned is sometimes there's something better if you just wait a little longer. Because sometimes you think you've got the shot, and it may be a great shot, but if you wait a little longer and see how the scene changes, there may be something better. So trying not to rush, you know, especially when you find a scene as good as this, it's like there are a lot of variations. And I think I only probably shot like maybe 10 frames, but I could have have stayed here for a good amount of time or until the guy who put it there finally showed up and moved it away. And that would have been an interesting shot. You know, oh, if I had just waited wait. there for 20 or 30 minutes to find out who put this here and having them pick it up and move it away, that might have been just a remarkable shot. But at the time, I felt like, I got it, let me move on and see what else I can get. But today, I'd be like, no, let me just stick around and see what's, what's more is here. Because these, these moments like this are a real gift. And, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't serve you as a photographer if you just kind of underrate it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I really love this shot here. One of the things that I'm, I, I'm challenged by is, is including more things in the frame. A lot of my shots tend to be very tight, very controlled, because I'm very conscious about what's in the background and because I don't want any distractions in the edges of the frame. But what I like about a lot of your shots, particularly the shots that you shoot with wide angle, is that you include so much, but it seems like every element in that frame serves a purpose. It's telling us something about not only the place that we're in, but it tells us something about the subject. It gives us a context. And I think that's one of the great things about this shot. But for me, the sh- what makes the shot is, is the swagger of the guy as he walks across the frame. And it's like you could have caught him at any point when, he's, when his body and his hands are in a different position, and yet you got him in a moment with a gesture, with the expression on his face, that just is so, so telling. And it just it just comes together beautifully. And it's like a half beat after this or a half beat before it, the shot wouldn't work. Right. And it's just the fact that you just got that right moment that says so much about him. Even though we don't know who he is or exactly why he's there, we get the relationship and we get something about his personality just as a result of this, this one frame.
1: Yeah, at first, whenever I'd, I, well, not when I was taking it, but when I was, Doing a lot of the editing of here, I at I, I first kind of dismissed the composition of the shot because I didn't like where his legs were cut off. Uh, you know, it wasn't at the kneecaps, but there's there's still some boot tops that we're not seeing right there. So he's got his pants tucked into his boots, and, and that's that's another kind of characteristic of those of those cowboys in that area. And and people, the cowboys particularly in that area, they take they take their lifestyle very very seriously. And so I, I wish I'd have had the the boot tops there. But when and you're right, whenever I started looking a little bit more into it though. Those shots, those frames that exist around this particular frame and that during that time, they don't quite have the swagger that he has. And this is not the swagger of a man that, that kind of walks away from something upright and stuff. He's, he's bent over. He just got through working some cattle in these pens. This was actually shot the same day uh, as the, the first shot with the pistol hanging off the chair. This was one of the, just the cowhands that was working cattle uh, on, this, on this drought-ridden uh, ranch. And there was something about the way he, the way he looked, um, and the way he was looking, where he was looking past the camera, not necessarily at me. Uh, and, and if he'd have been looking kind of at me for this particular shot, I, I wouldn't necessarily probably cared for that engagement. But um, you know, using, and this is one of the shots that, that wasn't uh, a wide angle shot, but it's it's. Using uh, I used a seventy to two hundred, probably right around sev- anywhere between seventy and one hundred to kind of compress a little bit of that information in there. We bring those pins, we bring that landscape that you see off in the background into the mix. We you see all that that dust and and uh, cattle, uh, the dust that the cattle are ringing up. And so there's this atmosphere, there's a sense of place that he's working and he's working his butt off. Yeah. And, uh, and and so that that kind of worked. I, I don't mind the the shadow underneath the the uh, the hat. This is kind of one of those more Kind of documentary style shots where I was on assignment i 'm shooting everything that 's going on, and he just happens to be walking out of all of this dust that 's stirred up by the cattle and I just turned really quickly to make a couple frames, really like two or three frames there and that 's it and this was the one that worked. his arms were spread out enough, his legs were separated enough, and we've kind of we kind of get that cowboy that that uh, kind of rode hard and put up dry cowboy look. You know, he's bent over and, and it's one of those things where he probably, he walks like that day in and day out because of the work he's done.
0: How much, how much of the, the lens choice had to do with that compression that you could get and how much of it was just a practical, practical issue in terms of where you were relative to where he was?
1: Yeah, no, well, it, most, most of it was really practical, especially when you're working around in certain environments like this. I grew up on a, on a cattle ranch, so I know where and when not to stick a lens somewhere. Uh, I, I was photographing a uh, on on an old an oil uh, rig the other day in Midland, Texas, and i i I nearly had I nearly got knocked out uh, by one of the big arms that kind of swings out that pulls the pop up out of the rig, and so there was an environment there that I really wasn't all that prepared for. Here, I was more prepared. I stuck on a seventy to two hundred so I could stay back a little bit. But uh, still, be able to to use a lot of that background, depending on what focal length I was. Uh, yeah. I tell students all the time if I was if I had one lens to walk around this world with, it's a seventy to two hundred because it's it's one of the more versatile lenses in my kit, at least.
0: Yeah, and I think it's a great example about how how important compression can be. A lot of people think about the seventy two hundred in terms of I want to be able to bring things that are farther far away closer.
1: And I want to knock things in the background out of focus. Out of focus, yeah.
0: but it's like. There's, there's a third factor, which, which is this compression that happens, which makes those distant objects and those objects that are closer to the camera look like they are in much closer proximity than they actually are and evokes a sense of that relationship. Because this shot made with a 50 would not have been the same shot. Even if you had this same sort of framing, you would not have that, that relationship between those elements in, in the background. And the other thing is what I like about this shot is that you're shooting at it a terrible time of day. You know, I mean, you got that overhead light, you got the shadow beneath the brim of the hat. This is a time that you'd go, you know, I don't want to, you shouldn't shoot through this kind of light, but this is a great example about you can still make great shots even when the light is this this high contrast and harsh.
1: Yeah, fortunately, he was wearing a lighter colored shirt, so his shirt was bouncing a little bit of that kind of fill light back up underneath that hat. Otherwise, it would have been a lot darker underneath his hat. Also, the ground is kind of a lighter tone, so it was being enforced up there as well. Let's talk about this particular shot here. I think this may be the only black and white photograph we have in the, yeah. in the selection. Um, when, I see, when I saw this image at first, I thought... And by the way, we, we selected these images without either one of us knowing which ones we were going to select. And we met for lunch briefly to talk about basically what we were going to impromptuly say up here. But when I first shot the, saw this shot, I noticed in the background... Uh, around this area, this sign right here it says "largest network in Nigeria," and I was, I said, "Well, this must be taken in Nigeria." I was wondering if this was, you know, out of the country, but there was something fairly similar about this type of shot. It's a, it's of a salon, or we have this, this feel of a salon, and, and you, you'll notice that they're outside. They're outside on a sidewalk, and, and there's there's a pipe there that wouldn't necessarily exist on the interior of any kind of building. But there's still this salon feel. And I do actually a lot of uh, research in, in some photography inside these places that are called third places. And they're, they're uh, environments for informal socialization. So I was immediately drawn here because of my background in, in that type of research. But what's actually taking place here tells the story of, of the salon, of that, that third place where people just come to kind of hang out and have conversation. And obviously there's great light. One of the things I know that you'll talk about, the first thing you notice was the light itself. But I was wrong about Nigeria.
0: Yeah, I was shot in Harlem. Um, I was walking down, uh, I forget what street it was, and I see this light, late afternoon light. I think it was being reflected off of a, a building, and it was shining on them. And I was walking there, and I was like, at first I was like, I don't want to make a photograph, but I said, I cannot make this photograph. So I raised the camera and I made several, several, several frames, and um, it was the light that really kind of led me here. But the reason they were out on the sidewalk is it, it was a really hot day in New York, and it, I guess their air conditioning in the salon wasn't working, so they had to go outside on the sidewalk to do their thing. And um, I, it was a moment that I felt like if I didn't photograph it, I'd beat myself up for it. And some guys on a stoop gave me some crap for, for making the photograph. They didn't say anything, but the other guys on there, and I just kind of apologized, but I'm so glad that I made, made the photograph, because it's it was one of my favorite photographs from that from that trip, mm-hmm. and, like you said, this is probably one of the um, shots where, like yours, the ones that I like so much of yours, is that it 's so encapsulating it includes so much information, but it seems like everything else in the frame serves it. and the thing you pointed out about mm-hmm. the Nigeria sign mm-hmm. i 've never noticed that, yeah. but it ends up working uh, in terms of the, in terms of the image but it's it's again it goes back to this whole idea of evoking a question what right it, what is it about who are these people what's happening
1: that's one th- it's it's an image you can dwell in and I, I think that's i think that's kind of compelling for an image if you if you start to have to read there are certain things going on just like uh just like in a movie set and movies have been made about environments like this and, and tv shows have been made about environments like this and there's and so in one frame We have a lot of action going on that we we don't get distracted by whenever we're looking at any one particular piece of the action. We just move on to the the other piece of it.
0: It, When you're you're doing that, part of it, you're working on assignments. So some of it is uh, about the story that you have to serve. So how, how much of the pictures that you make are rooted on the fact that you know you have to serve the story for either the New York Times or whoever you're you're working for, um, we can talk about, let's, let's talk about this shot here. Because part of, part of my thinking is like, okay, when you're trying to serve this ultimately to the story, you of course have your aesthetic concerns in terms of making a good photograph. But you, in one frame, you have to be able to say something about the greater picture. So how do you sort of come in? I mean, this is a, what did you call this before? It's a... It's a pump jack. A pump jack. Yeah. So for uh, for fun,
1: college kids hop on top and they ride the pump jacks when they're moving. Really, it's pretty dangerous. Yeah,
0: it is. So talk about that because I think that's really kind of intriguing. Because for me, I'm out on the street and it's very impulsive. It's like what I see. I raise the camera to my eye and try and capture it. But I think you're being much more thoughtful in terms of how you're shaping your photograph.
1: Well, in, in this one, I guess you could call this kind of West Texas street photography, because this is, <laughs> I mean, this, it's kind of uh, what this was. I, I would go out, I, when I was learning how to photograph, I was chasing storms all the time. I was chasing skies. I live in a very, very extremely flat part of the world, and, and so we have a lot of sky uh, above us, and, and whenever we have great structure, like this thunderstorm that rolled through, that we, we pay attention as photographers. We we get in the car and we go, and and so Part of the, the, part of the shot is, is well, all of this shot is really kind of indicative of, of where I live, or at least this area of Texas that I was photographing in. if I was, if I was on assignment, uh, this particular shot probably wouldn't have, wouldn't have been made because the, the, the probability that I would have been on assignment this particular day, or even given like a three or three week or three month period, this might not have never happened during, the, during that time. Uh, and so you know the sky itself may not necessarily tell the 100% truth of, of what this area is like. But whenever a, a big, you know, one of those large size thunderstorms comes rolling through, uh, this is fairly indicative of, of what it looks like. Um, you know, how, how being on assignment shapes what I'm doing with story, I'm trying to always create a sense of place. You know, one of the, th- one of the first things I think about whenever, when I'm on assignment or whether I'm shooting stock material like this I'm always thinking about context and environment. I want, people to, I want people to put themselves in this type of shot. This is one of those shots where the thunderstorm rolled through. We have some water uh, from the rain that went by. We also have, you know, this could, this could have been anywhere if it hadn't been for the other two elements, and that's the pump jack in the center, uh, underneath the framed in by the rainbow, and also the, the cotton fields in the back. And I don't think on the projectors you can probably see the white dots uh, representing the cotton uh, in the fields, but. That's, uh, those are characteristic of, of West Texas. And, and so, creating that sense of place or trying to create that sense of place all the time with my images it's kind of one of those things I take with me both in stock and on, on assignment.
0: Yeah. I, mean, what, I was talking earlier about tension. And I like that because you got that pump jack and then you got this rainbow. And there are two elements that seem to be completely contrary to each other. There's like this natural beauty. And then there's this fabricated beauty yep. of the pump jack, the, mm-hmm. the shape, the graphic lines, the, the color. Mm-hmm. And having those two things juxtaposed together, I think, make for an interesting image. I mean, they do yeah. what you just said in terms of establishing in, uh, a, a real sense of the distinctiveness of this place in Texas. Right. But I think it also creates sort of a, a, a visual draw mm-hmm. as a result of having elements that you normally would not think would be together, and they are.
1: Well, we're drawn to controversy, and, and aesthetically this shot, or visually at least, this shot is kind of controversial because of those things you just pointed out. And, it, and of course, the pump jack in itself is controversial anywhere you go. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about this, this photograph, and, and really I have a very, very brief statement about this, this portrait. It's more of a question. Who is it? Like automatically whenever I saw this, I wanted to know who it was. I was engaged with with the man's face. I like the white, you know, the the white space above him, if you will, kind of forcing our eyes down, you know, into into his eyes. Uh, we're a little bit above him, okay? So we're actually kind of looking down a little bit, and and it piques my curiosity. There's certain things about this man. It looks like a retiree. His face, technically, is a great portrait face because he's he's got certain elements. He's got a He's got dark eyebrows to contrast with that white hair. Uh, this sounds kind of funny, but he's he's got a great forehead, even though he's balding. He's got he's got a, a forehead that the light crosses very well. <laughs> and and in you know this the fact that he's kind of in a suit top, a pinstripe suit top to, to be uh, exact, uh, without a tie and that American lapel pin. So there's things, there's things in here that beg the question: Who is this? And I think this this works great for you know, any kind of editorial story that would center around this man.
0: Yeah. We were uh, downtown filming a video, and um, I saw this guy, and at first I saw the back of his head, and I saw this shock of white hair, and he was holding on to the chain of a security gate, and his hands were very um, gnarled and, you know, very weathered, so initially my first shot was of his shock of white hair and his hand holding the, the chain, and as I moved, I saw his face, and he started walking away, and I went up to him and asked if I could make his photograph, because I saw him. And one of the things was that what was really important is that I saw him, and where he was moving into had a terrible background. So even before I'd asked him, I already knew where I was going to put him if he said yes. It was just, this was about probably seven feet to the left of where I initially found him. Because if I had shot him where I would found him, it would have been the security gate, and that just would not have worked. So as soon as he said, okay... I shifted him over so I could get this background and and thankfully I was on the the shaded side of the street so I had this nice even light to work with and so I just started shooting him but he didn't want to look directly into the lens of the camera and I was fine with that I like just let it roll because I actually like the fact that he isn't looking directly into the, the lens a lot of the times people will be looking directly at the lens when i make so a So he's not portrait.
1: preoccupied either. Huh? So he's not preoccupied. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah he may have been so yeah, comfortable or he may have been preoccupied cuz i think he was intent on getting somewhere, mm. but i really like that 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 element there and it was like i composed it to sort of emphasize those features that i really liked and i didn't want to do like a traditional head and shoulder. i wanted to include a lot of that that background in there cuz i felt that there was some tension by placing him in that sort of lower third of the of the frame, felt if it did it like a traditional portrait, you would read it in a in a too straightforward fashion. Right, and I felt right. like by forcing it, that it forces you to sort of take it in in a, in a different way. So that that change in composition was something that I I made at a fraction of a second. I didn't I didn't feel like I had a lot of time with him since he was a little sort of antsy. Mm-hmm. So I just had to make the choices. This is the way I'm going to shoot it. And I think what. Keeps the shot from the viewer from going completely out of the frame is the lapel pin. Because I think your eyes go from the top to his face down to the bottom, and it gets drawn to that lapel pin. And I feel like the the contrast of the shirt and the jacket help pull you into the center of the frame and into his and into his face. So
1: that's a good point to make. You know, visually, if you put a, a point, you know, a small point that might be considered an abstract dot in a frame, your eyes eventually going to get to that dot. And so that's yeah. what's happening with this lapel pin. And like you said, fortunately, it's keeping somebody in, in the frame itself. I did, I did have a question, you know, as opposed to when I'm on assignment, whenever you go shoot a lot, you, you told me that you really go out with one camera, one lens. How much does that influence the way you compose portraits specifically?
0: I'm either using a 50 or now I'm using like a 24 to 105, but I usually prefer the, the 50. Uh, Just because it's a fast lens, and if I get into a low light situation, I have the speed. But also, I just like, I know I can make a certain kind of portrait with a 50. And even though I have that range within a 24 to 105, um, I like the fact that I'm working with a 50. And therefore, I'm just limiting my choices in terms of, I don't have to worry about, okay, what's the focal length? to zoom in. I don't. It's like, it's the 50. Let me work with it. And that sort of dictates where I position myself and how I choose to frame the subject within the composition. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I may do a vertical or horizontal, but it gives me less things to worry about so I can just get the shot. Because sometimes I'm grabbing people on the street, so I'm not going to be able to spend like an hour with them making their portraits. So literally it's going to be several minutes that I may have with them, and then I or they are going to move on. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, Let's talk about this shot. This was really a, a shot that really stood out for me. Because I looked at this photograph, and it was the only photograph where I realized that any sort of photo trickery, for lack of a better word, was happening in terms of the, the plane of focus. Because I know a straightforward lens and camera, um, to get all these things in focus uh, would require a small aperture in order to get that deep depth of field, but you have a shifting in terms of the, the plane of focus. And I thought that was really good about that photograph was the fact that that you were using uh, a technique not just to make the picture look a certain way, but to serve the story. And you were telling me it was with a tilt-shift lens. And I felt like, wow, that's fantastic, because so many people will use a tilt-shift, le- le- tilt-shift lens because they want the image to look a certain way. Yeah. You know? And I felt like it was really refreshing to see somebody using it because they wanted to emphasize something in the image in terms of storytelling. And I think that's just so important, and it's too often lost when people take a look at, at getting this look either with a tilt-shift lens or, or in software.
1: Yeah, th- this was shot before Instagram in Hipstamatic, I think, all the iPhone apps. But yeah, it was, it was with a, a 24 tilt-shift, and, and at that time, I, and I, didn't really, I wasn't all that familiar with some of the work that had been, been done with uh, tilt-shifts at that point and in, in terms of making things look miniature, and, or at least the miniature effect at least. I was, I was interested in using tilt shifts for, for what they were traditionally designed for for fixing perspective, but uh, when I was photographing this cemetery in shafter texas it 's close to the Mexican border. Uh, this just kind of stuck out to me this cross that was on this fence post leading into this this kind of gated area for this family, and then the cross itself, uh, which uh, has the name of the family and, and a couple of other, uh, few other people on it. And I wanted them together, but I didn't necessarily need all this other stuff, you know, bringing the image down. I didn't want that distraction, particularly whenever you're shooting in a desert like this. There's a lot of rock. There's a lot of colors that just kind of don't make, just don't compel me at least whenever I'm, I'm shooting there. So, in take, you know, shooting with a shallow depth of field, I think this was like at F3.5 or F4, but shifting... Uh, the uh, or s- basically swinging the lens out, we drive that focus from the post diagonally across into the frame, and, and so we hit the post with the cross here in the foreground, and then we hit and we have focus on the cross in the background, and uh, you know to me that's that's what I was interested in. That's what that's the most important thing uh, things about this particular shot and in this particular environment, and that's where I wanted to drive the viewer's eye.
0: When um, when, you, when people get that lens, it's kind of like I can do this. And then it never sees the light of day, yeah, <laughs> or yeah. or it gets used overused. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I'm, you know, you have the lens in your in your in your bag, obviously. So no, I don't. Uh, oh, you don't. I don't so own this lens. Yeah. And, so and, did you? So how did that work well, out? Well, I, I was that day? I
1: was with another photographer, and and he had tilt shift lenses because he oh, did okay. a lot of architectural shooting, and and so he he would uh, employ the tilt shifts for what they were you know designed for, and uh, we were just playing around in in this area, and and I just. I kind of had this idea to tilt, you know, to swing the, the focus diagonally into the front, into the frame, and but no tilt shifts. I like I, I don't carry any uh, you know specialty lenses in my in my bag like fisheyes. Okay. Uh, you know, a lot of people love fisheyes. I'm just not a fisheye person, and so I don't carry one with me. Uh, same thing goes with tilt shifts. I do kind of like that 17 tilt shift that Canon's yeah. got out, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pony up that that dough for that. <laughs> yeah.
0: I, th- I like this image because, like a lot of the other images, where we were talking about how much you include in the frame, despite just using that perspective control on that lens, you're able to minimize things that are in the frame that otherwise would prove distracting.
1: Yeah, because okay. this is a pretty busy image. If you were to look at it with a traditional lens, say that twenty-four to one hundred five using oh, f yeah. twenty-two, it, it, I wouldn't say it would be a worthless image, but it just wouldn't be one that took you exactly where it needed, where you needed to look.
0: Yeah, I mean, when I look at the images you think about critiquing, I that that those dark bars in the frame, you know, some people would say, "Well, God, that's really distracting. Why don't you Photoshop that out?" And I know you're doing photojournalism, but how much that kind of stuff, sort of, if you you know, if that weren't the issue, would you actually take those out of the frame because they're such a point of high contrast, or do you feel like that really works in terms of your image?
1: No, I like it. And if they were completely black, if we did not have any light, you know, gradation across the the bars themselves. Uh, that might be if if I didn't if I didn't care about photoshopping anything out of there yeah. maybe maybe so but since they've got you know a, a, a tangible factor to them you know facet that they, there's an angle there and it's evident that they're a part of this post we you know visually we can read that they're they're meeting that point up there at the top and so they just serve as a better frame I think without that that top uh, bar right there I think the the frame itself on the on the the back the cross in the background kind of goes away. Yeah,
0: I think it works for me because it confines where the viewer is experiencing the photograph, so it doesn't it doesn't bother me at all. And then you got these repetition of triangles that are happening throughout the frame. So you have those things at the edges that are repeated, you know, with the spires on on the fencing, mm-hmm. and even the with the cross itself. You know, the, the negative space here is all triangles, so it's like right. you can get this repetition, which makes Areas like that really really gel in terms of the gel of the photograph.
1: I think we've got time for maybe one more shot, and let's look at let's look at this one in the in the shots that uh, my very next sent me. The there was this there was this theme in, on color, uh, and and you do a great job of shooting color just in in general, like finding interesting color to shoot, an interesting form to go along with that color. And there was there was a a, a heavy push toward red and blue and I, I just thought you know some of some of the shots were of a of a strong blue wall with maybe a, a part of it painted red um, a, a red shirt up against a blue wall well this one happened to be uh, a red hair up against a a blue kind of overhead door window right there but uh, it, what made this one much you know that much more drawing much more compelling for a viewer uh, such as myself was the frame that you used as well and uh, the, we, we talked earlier about how you know, the, the woman is not facing the photographer. You, know, you didn't capture her eyes, but that wasn't necessarily the point. The point was to, to use, use form and, and use these kind of visual aesthetics to kind of draw the, the viewer in. And, and again, like people like me who's viewing this for maybe the first time, maybe the second, third time, see this play on color and they're immediately drawn to it. Yeah. So there's a lot of things going on that we talk about in visual communications or in art studies that, uh, that are, are fairly subtle, but that's exactly why we're being drawn into the image itself.
0: Yeah, I was shooting this in downtown again, which is one of the... in downtown Los Angeles where I shoot a lot, and I saw the play of light on the security gate first. And I said, wow, that's really light, because I really like that sharp angular shadow that was happening on the surface of the gate and the wall. So I knew that I, this was one of those places where I was just going to plant myself, and I was fully expecting people to come within the frame. and I. Shot, set my exposure manually, and I shot with a really deep depth of uh, F-16 to get a really depth, deep depth of field. And I had just focused on the sidewalk at the point where I wasn't going to expect people to walk in. And as soon as I had focused on that point, I was raising the camera to my eye, when out of the corner of my eye, I saw her walking into the frame. And then I just waited for her to get in that position, and I made the one frame. So it was it was just pure chance or luck whatever you want to call it that allowed just like the perfect subject to come into the frame because there were other people walking up and down but she was the only redhead you know that walked into the frame right at that moment and was in the perfect spot because just a couple of millimeters to the right if the edge of that security gate had juxtaposed with the top of her head the image didn't work i really love the fact that her, her complete head is enveloped within that that blue area
1: and that emphasizes the value of looking at the very small things in a frame when you're shooting and when you're editing uh and you know one of the questions i had about this shot was how how often do you find yourself kind of perching and waiting for that right moment to come by
0: i do it more and more often now because i'll find i'll find basically a setting i'll find a place where the light the color this where Everything seems to be like ripe for something, but it's missing something. It could be a person, it could be just, I don't know what it is, but then I'll just kind of refine my framing, and then I'll wait for that little extra thing to to happen. You know, sometimes it was, like I was in Italy, and it was just, there was this um, sheet, uh, this like curtain, and it was coming in and out of the uh was part, partly was being blown out of the window. Mm-hmm. So I felt like that's what I need to wait for, for that curtain to come back out of the window. And for the longest time, it was just like it stayed in there. But I'd seen it earlier sort of peek out. And so it was just like, okay, I'm just going to stay here because I know it's that one little thing that I need for it to be, to, to make it happen. Yeah. You know, and sometimes it's just about that, that one telling thing and being patient for it. Because now I'll camp out for 20 or 30 minutes, you know, or even longer sometimes because I know. I have the potential for a great shot here. And if I'm not impatient and let it happen, it can happen. It's yeah. when I'm in a rush. You know. Yeah. I can be in a rush and taking 100 different shots of different things. But that one place that I passed up to quickly may have been the opportunity for the best photograph.
1: Everybody needs a little of berry necks on their shoulder, saying, wait for it, wait for it. <laughs> Hope this wasn't too impromptu for everybody. Okay. Well, thank you all very much. We appreciate it.
0: Thank you very much. The Candid Frame is supported by donations from people just like you. You can help support the work we do here by visiting the website at thecandidframe.com and contributing using PayPal. You can also support the show by writing a review in the iTunes Music Store or by adding a link to the podcast on your website or blog. The editor for this show is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. Music is by Kevin MacLeod. And this is IbarianX. And this is... The Candid Frame.